I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to the back middle portion of, of your worship guide where you'll see the scripture that the sermon's going to be based on, which we're about to get into. If you have a physical Bible, again, something on your phone, you're welcome to turn to, to Luke chapter 8 for that as well. I think I'm inviting Alistair up to, to, um, to read for us. Let me just introduce the text briefly before he comes up or as he comes up. Um, the Gospel of Luke, what you're holding in your hands right now, what you're looking at on the page, is a first century written account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke, in the first chapter of his book, he explicitly tells us why he wrote this. Not as like a historical curiosity, but something to build our faith on. Uh, He writes that we may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught about Jesus. Luke wants to strengthen your faith. Through these words, he wants, whether you're a first century Christian reading this text or a 21st century Christian, he wants you to trust that who Jesus is, what he came to do, what that means for you, is, is true is worth building your whole life on. That life now and forever is possible only by building your life on this Jesus revealed in this gospel. Um, As I've mentioned in a couple of weeks, where we are in chapter 8, this is actually the early stages of Jesus' public ministry. He's primarily in northern Israel, which is the province of Galilee, and he he has a, a massive crowd following him. Wherever Jesus goes to preach or to heal, crowds gather. Um, in, in verse 4 uh, of, uh, of the text um, this, uh, uh, previously that we read last week, it says that a great crowd had surrounded Jesus. So, so where we are this week in verses 16 through 21, just imagine there's a big group of people around him. Um, and in last week's sermon, we looked at a parable that Jesus told his disciples, a story that he told them. Uh, we've called it the parable of the four soils. And And what Jesus did for this massive crowd following him is he cautioned them. He gave them a caution, a word of caution. He says, be very careful how you're listening. It's fun to be part of a crowd. You like the teaching that's going on, but, but listen. Be very careful how you're listening. In our text this morning, you can see it um, in, verse, uh, in verse 18, that same note of caution that Jesus is sharing. He continues to caution his listeners. He reminds them to be very careful how they listen. Yeah, and you could say it this way. It's, it's because they're in the dark until they hear the light. Jesus is cautioning his hearers that you are in the dark until you hear the light. I invite Alistair now to read our text for us. So Luke 8, starting at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of God, the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us again. Father, we ask for your illumination of this word. We thank you for the light that you give, and and yet we recognize that we're in darkness until we hear you speak. And so, by your spirit now, speak to our hearts, waken us up. Help us to be very cautious with how we hear this word this morning. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Knowing something's proper function is necessary for its proper use uh, and to avoid frustration with its misuse. 
So knowing what a thing is made for, it determines how one should use it. So a hammer, of course, it could be used as a spatula. It could be used as some sort of a, a hairbrush, but you'd likely end up frustrated uh, and you'd seek something else that, that does those jobs better than the hammer. A hammer also can make a decent paperweight. It's fine as a doorstop. It could be an anchor for a very tiny boat. But only by, by pro- knowing its proper uh, function, what it is made for, will you use it properly, which we hopefully can all agree is for you know, driving nails, for smashing things. What is the Word of God made for? What is its proper function? Uh, the Word of God, the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus and his disciples here in Luke have been preaching and teaching for a couple of chapters now, it actually has a proper function. It's, it's given by God to people in such a way that it's meant to achieve certain ends. Uh, there are both proper and improper uses of the Word of God. We can each properly or improperly use the Word of God. Again, knowing something's proper function is necessary for its proper use. It, it avoids frustration with its misuse. And so, as we together hear the Word of God, as it's being read, as it's being preached, we shouldn't just wonder, how could I use the Word of God? Like, what are the various different ways I could potentially make use of it? But rather, how does God himself intend that we should use it, that we ought to use it? How has God made the word of God to properly function? What does that mean for how together we ought to hear and obey and think of it as a result of God's intended purposes? I mentioned already that in in last week's sermon, uh, in the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus gave a parable of caution. He said, be very careful how you're listening. Because not everyone who hears Jesus really hears. And in our text, again, in verse 18, you see that same note of caution. And so this is, this is the warning label on the sermon. Jesus is telling his listeners, be very careful how you're listening to him. The parable of the soils from last week. The caution was, listen carefully so that the word of God, like seed, can take root into your heart and grow good fruit. And in this section, you see the caution is this. Listen carefully. So the word of God can shine light in your darkness. We move from an image in early chapter 8 from the word of God is seed to hear the word of God being light. And again, Jesus telling the crowd, you're in the dark until you hear the light. You're in the dark until you hear the light. This is what the Bible's made for. This is its function, to be a light in darkness. And so this is is the outline for our sermon. This is what we're going to be trying to get to. Uh, It's this, the word of God is meant to shine its light through the church, for the world, at all times, and in all places. This is what the word is for. It's meant to shine its light through the church, for the world, at all times, and in all places. So let's look at the first part of that very long sentence. The word of God is meant to shine its light through the church, for the world. If you look at verse 16 of the text, Jesus makes a, makes a switch from describing the word as seed from the previous parable to the word as light. Uh, the transition maybe it's an awkward transition, but you can think of it as being phrased as good soil produces lamps. The, the good soil that Jesus is just describing, what does it produce? What kind of fruit? It produces lamps, bright lights. The good soil that receives God's word, it, it bears a certain kind of fruit. Uh, and this fruit shines its light through the church through God's people into a dark and weary world. Jesus poses a very silly, very improper use that one might have for lighted lamps. These are likely oil lamps or or perhaps a a very large candle uh, in the first century. Verse 16, he describes someone who decides to cover that lamp 
with a jar, or perhaps to put it under a bed. Beds then as now are made of highly combustible materials. And so this is a joke in the Bible, right? Um, the picture of somebody taking a lamp and deciding to put it under their bed probably would have gotten some chuckles from the crowd. The good news that his disciples are supposed to receive, that God saves sinners, uh, it, it does something to them. It lights them up like lamps. It's meant to mature them. It's meant to bear a particular kind of fruit that is too good to just keep to themselves. It's meant to shine out into the world. Uh, you can see that at the end of verse 16. The word of God shines out so that those who enter may see the light. Uh, Origen, in, in the third century, he said that, that Jesus is here saying to those outside the church, those who are far from Christ today, the word shines as a beacon to those journeying to it. So the church is given the word of God for a particular purpose, so that they can offer the world light in their darkness. The word of God is given to the church because God intends to shine the, the word's light through the church and for the world. I mean, Canadians should get this, right? Can it, especially Nova Scotians, we love us in Peggy's Cove. Right? We understand this concept. And I want you to imagine in the days before radar and GPS, when lighthouses were actually essential, you know, not just for Instagram, but when, when lighthouses were a guide out uh, shining their light out into the dark sea to, to keep ships from being shipwrecked and crashing on the rocks to point them the way to safe harbor. I want you to imagine, you know, long ago, the, the Peggy's house uh, light keeper inside his lighthouse with, with the light dulled to the outside, not shining its light outwards, but shining its light only inwards, you know, refocusing the lamp so just the lighthouse itself inside would be filled with light. And the keeper explaining why he did this, why this was the case, and he says, well, I don't want to bother the ships that are out there. I don't want to bug them, to be honest. Like, I, I think many of them, many of them have communicated to me that they just kind of prefer to float out on the sea the way they want to, and, and maybe they'll, you know, they'll figure their own way out to shore. I, I don't want to interfere with them. I don't want to be off-putting. I don't want to, you know, put myself on them. And, and to be honest, I'm actually really comfortable with all this light in the lighthouse. It's pretty comforting to me. We would say woe to such a light keeper, right? You are, you are fundamentally misunderstanding the purpose of the light that you've been given. And woe to the church, Woe to, to us as followers of Christ to hide the light that's been given to us instead of being a lighthouse to the world that's in utter darkness. Jesus insists that this light isn't to be hidden. It, it must not be kept a secret. If you remember from last week's sermon, uh, Jesus explained the meaning of his parables, uh, the parable of the soils, particularly to his disciples, and he did it in somewhat of a secretive way. In verse 10 of chapter 8, he said, To you, my 12 disciples, has been given the secrets of the kingdom. So Jesus actually explained a lot of things to the disciples somewhat privately. But now he says, if you look at our text, nothing that's secret will not be known and come to light. And, and here's this idea. It's really present throughout the Gospels. What Jesus whispers, his disciples are called to shout. What he reveals secretly to them, they're to shine out brightly. If, if the contents of, of the word of God, of the scriptures, if it seems somewhat obscure or underground to lots of people in our city, in our world, if the good news is news that they haven't yet heard of, but you have, the disciples, their, their, their mission is to bring it out and to make it obvious to everyone. That's their calling. Again, this is what the word of God is meant for. It's meant to shine out. That is the very nature of, of light. And so the church must not, we must not, Keep the good news in here. 
we, we must not. Us celebrating, singing about, enjoying the good news, me preaching it somewhat loudly here in this room right now, it's good. We can be thankful for it. But it would be an improper use of the word if it were to remain here, if the light were only focused inwards and down into the lighthouse itself. Again, it would be an improper use of the word if you just let the word of God shine light on your own heart and not put it on a stand so that those who enter in may see its light. And what's interesting, from what I've seen in our church and other churches in the world, is that uh, it's almost intuitive to new Christians to do this. Some of the most eager inviters and, and, and evangelists and people who are shining out their light are new Christians. They're people who have tons of enthusiasm and energy for, for encouraging other people to read the Bible, to consider the good news of Jesus, um, even as they're, they're just learning it for the first time. And for many people who've been in the church for a very long time, who are very familiar with this light, many, not all, of course, there's less eagerness. There's more shyness. There's more concerned about how others outside will receive the light. They say things similar to that old lighthouse keeper. I don't want to bother them. Like, I, I think they would just prefer if I leave them alone. Maybe they'll, wake, they'll make their own way to shore. I don't, I don't, I don't say that to, to, to shame you, like, to, to you know, embarrass you, but to encourage you, to, to remind you of this mission that you've been given. If you've received the word of God, you know, the good news of the kingdom that God saves sinners, if God has lit you up, if he's giving you light, it must not be kept hidden. It cannot be covered. It cannot remain in the privacy of your own heart to give light to yourself any more than a lit lamp is meant to be hid under a jar or placed underneath a bed. The very nature of light is to shine out, to give light to others. Uh, the Anglican minister J.C. Ryle writes uh, on this passage saying, Happy is the soul, blessed is the soul. How great for the Christian, which as soon as it receives light from heaven, begins to think of others as well as itself. No candle which God lights was ever meant to burn alone. And so, so this is the first part of our outline. The word of God is meant, it's given, it's intended for this purpose, to shine its light through the church for the world. And this is the second part. The word of God is meant to shine its light at all times and in all places. In, in verses 18 through 21, if you look at it, we, we see just how total, how complete God's shining light is meant to be. All the areas it's meant to shine on. The parts of us that it's meant to hit and change. When the word of God shines out into the world, it's meant to do so not just on Sundays, you know, not just in certain parts of our life, but all the time and in all places. Nothing is to remain hidden and in darkness. Everything is to be exposed and enlightened. You can see at the beginning of verse 18, Jesus reminds his disciples to be very careful how they hear. Again, that word of caution. At the end of verse 21, if you go all the way to the bottom in the story about his family, he's again concerned about how people hear, how they hear the word of God, how they obey it. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. This is what he says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, Will be taken away. That sounds a little cryptic, perhaps. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. Jesus is here telling his disciples who hear the word, who believe, who trust in it, who obey it, that even more light's going to be given to them. Even more's coming. As they receive light, more light's given. I can't remember if it was Zach or somebody in our home group, but we, we shared this kind of illustration uh, of this idea uh, in our home group on Wednesday. And, and the illustration is a story of somebody who's in pitch black, but in the distance they see a great light. 
And the closer they get to this light, the more is revealed. That kind of happens when there's a bright light on a dark night. Um, as you walk towards the light, this person, this individual, begins to see around them even better. They can, they can tell more about their environment. They can see more details than they could before. They actually start to see a path being laid out in front of them that they can walk on. They also notice some ditches that are around, some potential pitfalls that they weren't able to see before. As they get closer to the light, the light is increasing, right? Uh, more about them is being exposed, more about themselves. They can see that they couldn't before. They can see their clothes are actually quite dirty, that there's stains on it. Um, the light, as they get closer to it, it just keeps revealing more and more the closer they get. The light's not changing but their relationship to the light is. But for a person who just sees the light way out in the darkness, way, way far away, and refuses to come close to it, perhaps even walks away from it, their darkness is only increasing. They may be able to see the light, to recognize that it's light somewhere out there, but they can't see anything by the light. Because they're not walking in the light, the light doesn't shine sense into their world. They have no idea what they themselves look like or what their environment is like. They don't see the ditches that they should avoid. And this is what it's like with somebody who's listening to the word of God. As we hear it, as we're attentive to it, as we get closer to it, we're given more and more light by it. We begin to see more. But if we close our ears to it, you know, gradually, slowly, in certain areas and others, we actually get less and less light from it. My old pastor, he would, he would uh, as he was preaching, he, he had a couple of things that he'd say, but he'd often grab his Bible and he would say something like, um, this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. It's a great little way to say it. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. Um, tuning out some of this book, some, some, some chapters, some, some parts of it that you don't really like, it actually leads to tuning all of it out. Jesus cautions us in verse 18, be very careful how you listen. The word of God is meant to shine out at all times and in all places. The light of the world, uh, of the word, it reveals our sin, it points us to a savior, and we're to walk in that light all the time, to apply it to our whole selves. This is a gift that's being given to us, God's word. And, and God is promising us this, that as often as we come to him, as often as we admit our darkness and we look to him for light, he'll give us more. This is going to be unending, walking in the light. There's more and more to this. Uh, John Calvin wrote, God grants us a taste of his heavenly doctrine, but he has this one express condition, that we feed on it abundantly from day to day till we come to be fully satisfied with it. God's laying out a feast for us. He's, lighting, he's, he's providing for us bright light to enjoy and to see by. And the only condition is that we do this day after day. We fill ourselves with it. Again, this book will keep you from sin. It, it will keep you close to Jesus. It will keep you in the faith. It will keep you in the light. But sin will keep you from this book. So be very careful how you listen. If you look at our text moving to verse 19, there's a bit of a, bit of a, um, a, a zoom out, perhaps. We're very close to Jesus in the first verses. We're hearing the words that he's speaking, but suddenly we're on the outskirts of the crowd, and we're seeing Jesus and his brothers, really his half-brothers. Uh, we confess every week. Jesus Christ, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so these were Jesus' uh, half-brothers, perhaps um, the sons and daughters of Joseph and Mary uh, after Jesus was born. The other Gospels give them names. They are James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, a different Judas. Um, and so Mary and his brothers, they're outside. Matthew and Mark, they record the same story, um, but they add a few extra details. And, and what it sounds like is this is a bit of a rescue mission. Jesus' mother and his brothers come to get Jesus to pull him away to get him to stop teaching the way he is. Why would they be doing this? Well, Mark's gospel indicates that his brothers thought Jesus was out of his mind. 
They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And so they go to the crowd, Jesus surrounded by this great crowd, and they try to snatch him out, try to pull him away. Um, John is, again, really explicit. John's gospel. They didn't believe in Jesus. And so a, a very generous reading of this situation is that Jesus' family are worried about him. That They want to be of help to him. Whether or not he actually is the Son of God, you know, the, the Christ, the Messiah, might be secondary to them. Because they look at Jesus and they see somebody who's overworked, he's in over his head, he needs some respite, but he's unable to turn the crowds away himself. And so his family kind of has to intervene in this situation. Again, that's a very generous reading of this text. So his brothers and his mothers, they go to the outskirts of the crowd, and they want to see Jesus. They want to get him. And Jesus' answer to their request, it's surprising. You look at verse 21. He answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. How, how do we make sense of that? Well, first, this is, this, is, this is just a beautiful reminder that Christ invites people not to be, become part of some institution or an organization, but to be part of his family. That, that when we hear God's word and we, and we do it, and that, that shorthand for believing everything it says, trusting everything it says, we are his. We're his dearly loved children. The invitation to everyone to get out of the darkness by hearing the light isn't just like an invitation to, to enlightenment, to, to, to deeper knowledge. It's invitation to a family where you belong, where you have a home. The church brings people. It's intended to bring people together into a bond of faith that's closer and thicker than blood. It's defined not by, defined not by shared ancestry, but by shared faith. And so when we shine the light out uh, into our home, into our world, what we're wanting to see is for our neighbors to become sisters, to have our own sons become our brothers. This is what the light is doing. Jesus is saying that his people are his very family. He loves and he welcomes them. But, but another thing that this section points out is that as a result of the word of God shining out at all times and in all places, the light of the world gives you a different way of seeing everything. The word of God is meant to shine its light at all times and all places on everything. And by looking at certain things in your life, or everything in your life, you're supposed to see it by a different light. And here we see God's word shining a light on family. We see God's word shining its light on family. Even the most intimate blood bonds in the light of God's word are changed. We are to see them differently. God's word isn't meant to just change the way you view your Sunday mornings. Okay, this is, this is a special time. It's actually meant to change the way you see everything. Work and family and relationships and money and time and leisure. There's a line that I hear that shows up in a lot of movies. Um, that it's something like, uh, family isn't an important thing. It's everything. Like some well-intentioned moms probably have that inside their kitchen. So, something along those lines. It's not just something. Family's everything. And this sounds sentimental, right? It sounds warm, it sounds fuzzy, it sounds vaguely Christian, actually. But what happens when the word uh, shines its light in all times and all places, and particularly on this institution of family? What happens is our commonly held notions are disturbed. Like the things we, we most love, they get rattled. They get pushed off their pedestals. The things we value so highly, maybe even in an ultimate sense, God brings them down a few pegs. Of course, family is very important, right? The fifth commandment, we read, it, uh, we read it this morning. We are to honor our mother and father. Jesus does that. He honors his own mother and father. But the word of God is meant to shine its light through the church for the world at all times and in all places. And if anything actively pulls the church or the Christian from their mission of shining this light out, it needs to be put in its place. It needs to be seen differently. 
Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This goes for a lot of things, right? Family, while important, isn't absolute. Career, while it, it can be a way of serving our neighbors and serving our family, it must not be our chief loyalty. Health and wellness, it's a gift, it's a good thing, but it is not an absolute requirement over and against faithfulness to God. And when the Word of God shines its light, even on very good things in your life, it challenges us, it, it forces us to see things differently. And this is the question for you, to, are, are, this is the question for you, are you listening very carefully to the Word? Is it shining its light on every part of you? Because this is what it's for. The Word of God is meant it's intended, it's designed to shine its light on everything at all times. Let's end with this. When we read the Bible, when, when you, when you are, are carefully attentive to the Word of God, one thing that you find out is that the light is not just words on a page. Again, it's not just philosophical ideas, it's not rules to keep in your life, it's not knowledge and understanding to believe in uh, and, and a way to live. Fundamentally, the light is a person. The light is a person. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the word of God's ultimate purpose is to bring us to the light himself, to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to be part of Jesus's family. And this, this is how far God has come to bring us to Jesus, in order to bring us out of darkness and into the light. The light didn't just speak words. The light of the world came into our world and entered into darkness. This is what we see on the cross, Jesus Christ experiencing darkness and death for us and for our salvation. The light becoming dark, suffering and dying to bring those who are in darkness into the light. And so this is, this is why we must listen very carefully this is why you're being, you're being asked today to listen very carefully. It's so you can hear the light, Jesus Christ himself, inviting you to him. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is light. We thank you for sending your Son, who is the light. God, we ask that you would help our church to hear very well. We need your help. We need your Spirit. And so again, we ask, Father, fill our lives with light. Fill us with the words so that we can see things as you see them, and we can see them rightly. Lord, thank you for your grace, even this morning, uh, that you've given to this church your word. Uh, we have been lit by this light. And so we ask that you'd help us to now shine out into this world that you love. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.